presents the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. You're ready to move us. Before we start, I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other and all points in between. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now, your hosts... Jeremy Lunnan and J.R. Stanton. We've got to protect our phony baloney job, gentlemen. We must do something about this immediately. It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast, live and dangerous. And you know, the very first thing, I'm, I'm, I'm realize I'm throwing this at you in a different order than what I told you, J.R. That's okay. Very first thing I'd, I'd like for you to do is to introduce yourself. I'll, I'll give a little background. Certainly. JR, JR has helped me host two different episodes of the podcast. I've had two great hosts. And you notice there's a pattern here. Everyone's name starts with J. With a J. Yeah. So we started with Jeff as my partner, Jeff and Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Then John, John and Jeremy. And now JR and Jeremy. So if this doesn't work out, JR. I got to change my name. (laughs) Or we'll have to get someone else that starts with a J. So, but but take just a minute. Tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm a, I I basically am a music enthusiast. I play a little bit in regards to picking up instruments. I, I actually acquired a familiarity with piano flat top guitar then electric guitar as I'm a turd and, and amazingly enough, I'm, I'm not good at any of it, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, your introduction to music and, and such makes that work for a common, uh, common grounds for friends and, and, uh, growing up in basically late seventies and eighties and such going uh, forward. There was a lot of things going on musically that I could kind of tap into. And, and I think that that, that bridged a lot of the, the gaps for me socially because as young males growing up, we didn't have social media. So we would, you know, get a, an album and share those albums with each other. Um, in fact, I, some of the, the, the inspiration I would have would, would be sampling somebody else's album and then going out and buying something like we we didn't buy the same albums though that would be kind of defeat the purpose so we would move forward and buy different albums and i think that sharing uh, gave uh, gave rise to a, a better understanding of, of other people's interest and then helped me polish my own in fact jeremy you were part of that obviously yeah. uh, we had and you i was gonna say the same thing so yeah. Yeah. So it, uh, that appreciation and, and it, it's it's actually been handed down for me in case uh, our family's kind of that way. My father's the same way. He he can name most songs from his era. He can pretty much tell you where he was, who he was with and what was going on when that song was playing. And I think that that, that took uh, me forward, gave me my interest and certainly gave me an, uh, you and I a common interest just to talk 
through high school and, and going on forward. So, yeah, I would consider myself an enthusiast, but a, again, a master of, of actually no instrument. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, I was thinking of a band yesterday. I was driving back from Montana, had a mm-hmm. long, long drive. So I had the Spotify going, going. And, uh, I, Played a song from a band that Jr. actually turned me on to. Either either you or Steve, his brother Steve, the Headpins. That would be Steve. Okay, now, so I listened to the Headpins, but I didn't have uh, as much. Uh, so one of you guys, I think I borrowed or maybe stole a cassette from from Steve. The turn we wow. we often borrowed a lot of our music from and, Steve. And, and, he seemed to have a, a better inventory or library. Yeah, so it was the headpins, and I really, I to this day, I really like the headpins. And then, either I bought you or you bought me the Stevie Ray Vaughan Live Alive album. Did yeah. you buy that for me? I we we traded uh, in terms of purchasing because we knew when 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 a gift was appropriate, it was going to be Stevie <laughs> Ray Vaughan. But I I believe I bought you first. I think that. I think that's I, I knew you loved him, and yeah. and uh, I knew of him from basically three or four songs, and I knew I liked him. I just didn't know the extent of how I would like him. I, and and I still have that LP in my collection. Listen to it a lot. And another one of my favorite bands that Jr. I think kind of turned me on to was Cheap Trick. Oh yes, I mean I was familiar with the big hits up mm-hmm. to the time, but Jr. was I think a bigger fan, and and uh, I I started to listen. To them well, a lot more since then, and they've become one of my favorite bands. You know, and that's so topical. Um, you, there, you're going to uh, find a, a, a thread here. Uh, Cheap Trick. I don't know if you recall this, uh, Jeremy, but back in the late 70s, uh, there was a, a mail order record company, basically uh, Columbia House Records, mm-hmm. that would, you gave them a penny and they gave you like 12 albums or something. Yep. Um, and uh, Cheap Trick. Live at Budokan was one of the albums my brother got because he's the one that joined and he, he kept reminding me these were all his albums. But but for a penny, it, it was all fine until, you, you know, you had to I'm actually sorry, buy the right. three at, at regular yeah. price. Yeah, And then that's when you're going to mom and saying, mom, I got to I got to order a record and I'm going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go to jail, mom. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, we we use that to oh, yeah. get albums that we couldn't get. Um, any other way. Uh, in other words, mom was not going to buy this at, at TGNY or, or any of the, you know, the, the, the local stores we had at our disposal to, to acquire music. In fact, it was also in that, that first round of, of uh, uh, LPs that, that, that I got introduced to kiss. Yeah. It was the only way I could get the album. My mom was not going to condemn it. <laughs> yeah. Not going to buy it. So we had to use a backdoor method. And I I, I credit my brother to that. He's pretty innovative in in that arena. Yeah. And I I think that's a pretty common uh, experience for a lot of the the folks that listen to the podcast. Columbia House. That's how a lot of us started our record collections and got our first criminal records. Yes, exactly. By not paying off the – yeah. So that's a pretty common – He had such a low credit score at age, you know, 12 – well, you've already blown your credit score by not buying your three albums at regular price. That's oh, terrible. Okay, so we're going to get into our topic tonight, as promised. We're going to finally talk about Kiss. Before we get to that, Jr., I got a lot of emails. Um, you can email us at 
classic guitar rock at mail.com. Uh, in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put it right up here. You can email us at classic guitar rock at mail.com. I don't filter these people send them. I read them on the air, JR. So That's, I literally went in the name live and dangerous live and dangerous. And some of these just glancing over could be kind of dangerous. So We'll see how it goes. So I'm going to blast through these. If we want to comment on these, we can. First one. Hello, I contacted you via direct message on Twitter. We talked about an episode in the podcast. Will it be available soon to give, ret- to give retweet and spread it and, and more than anything to hear it? Thanks, J. Manuel Ponce. Thank you, J. Manuel. He wants to retweet. An episode. Yes, a, a big thanks. Yeah, ho- hopefully this this is the one you want to retweet. Okay, here's another one. Uh, I hope this email finds you well. My name is Lucky, and I'm a scientist with a passion for rock music. I recently came across your podcast. I was impressed by your knowledge and enthusiasm for the genre. I'm reaching out to request an opportunity to be a guest on your podcast. Hey, Lucky. Yeah, I believe that he won't feel so lucky after he. <laughs> Now that depends. As I believe that I would be a great fit for your show as I have extensive knowledge of rock music and its history. I would love the opportunity to share my insights and experiences with your listeners. I'm available to discuss a variety of topics related to rock music, including its history, evolution, and current trends. I'm also open to discussing my personal experiences with the genre, including my favorite bands and concerts. Let me know. He gives us his contact information. Thanks, Lucky. Um, Let's see. Another one. Hello, I'm reaching out to see if you'd like to interview our client who co-wrote two songs on the newest Extreme album that are getting rave reviews. He has a great nice. friendship with Nuno with a great story. Would love to chat. And then they give me some contact info. So, JR, I don't know if you've heard the new Extreme album. I, I've heard you talk about it. I haven't had the opportunity yet. It is awesome. Yeah, I hear that. I, and for you to say that, yeah, I'd have to believe you. It's really good. You know, extreme like Winger. I've mentioned Winger. Mm-hmm. Never appreciated them at the time. I mean, I, they were okay. I didn't dislike them. But uh, now, see, I was a big Winger fan. I was. I, I hung I with them. I, I liked them. Don't get me wrong. I liked them. But uh, I've gained a new. They both have new albums out, and they are both awesome. The Winger album's awesome. The extreme. Now, I, am, I guess the full Extreme album has probably dropped by now. Uh, as of about a month ago, there like three songs been released. They were all stellar. So Man. that's cool. Okay, next email. Um, these are all people that want to come on the podcast. Well, that's a good thing, right? It is a good thing. Uh, this is from John Scott, subject Tom Petty. Hey, I would love to send you a copy of my book, Tom Petty and Me. I would love a book. I was friends with Tom for 40 years as his promotion man at ABC Records. Uh, stories that have never been told. And he w- is would come on the podcast. That's I, nice. John, I will be in touch with you because I think that would be a great episode. Love and Tom it, Petty. Everyone yeah. loves Tom Petty. Here's, here's one. Dear Blowhard, I think your podcast sucks and you are an idiot. I think I, this was meant for you. I, I was going to say that. That sounds like mine. Uh, I'll own that. You know, I, I try. it's hard to be everything to everyone. 
This is from George S. Patton. I don't think it's the real George S. Patton. You know, it does sound like very Patton-esque. You know, if you, if you go back and research some of his quotes, yeah. I think he's pretty much to the point. Could be accurate. But, uh, even still, if it's if if George Pat George S. Patton is available, I do think it's, yeah. it merits the opportunity we to come see. on. We will we refute any comments, but okay. Here's uh, let's see. Hello, my friends. Oh, hello, comic punctuation. Hello, my friends and I created a band recently called R.I.M. And we are doing a lot of things. We are planning to start playing in the summer, but first we need to get some attention. That's where I need you to promote my band. Okay, so great. Send us information. Yeah. Uh, you can follow them on Instagram for more details at R-I-M underscore official um, and at call underscore thou draven. D-R-A-V-E-N. So if you want to check out the band R-I-M, I'll go give them a listen. They, they might be really good. So thank you for emailing us. Oh, okay. So a few episodes ago, I talked about grunge. And I got a lot of emails. <laughs> I'm, I, I recall that. <laughs> people mad at me. People who agreed with me. It's pretty, I'll be honest, it's about a two-to-one split. Two-to-one people liked grunge, you know, 33 and a third percent well, not such big fans of grunge and to be honest I kind of fell in that category but here's what here's what uh, let's see Hi, hey Jeremy been a fan of your show for quite some time grunge dot 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 I hated grunge when it came out the Seattle rock stations overplayed grunge just like classic rock stations overplayed the who the stones the Beatles and Led Zeppelin fast forward 30 years I have to admit I love Alice in Chains I understand the talent of Soundgarden, but Change Chains is the only grunge band that I actually went out and paid for a CD. Not a big fan of most other grunge. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame agreed. Total joke. That was me. I always talk about the Hall of Fame being a total joke. So he agrees. Agreed. Total joke. Sticks, Nugent, Kansas, Foreigner, so many others. I don't even take it seriously. Thanks for all the great shows. Keep rocking. Larry Anderson, Bellingham, Washington. Larry. Larry. Yeah, thank you, Larry. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your email. Uh, here's another one. Uh, let's see. This is from Seth. Hello, my name is Seth McKay. I'm a singer-songwriter from Bristol, VA. I'm lead singer in a band called Slick Cadillac. But I have my debut single as a solo artist called Stories of Old. I would love if you guys would be able to play it on your station. And I would love to do an interview with you guys to introduce myself to your listeners and give them a chance to get to know me a little bit. Thank you and look forward to hearing from you. Sincerely, Seth Cunningham. Well, we're not really a station. We don't really play music, but no. uh, but we talk about it. We talk about it and we'll send folks to check you out. Stories of Old by Seth Cunningham. Go check that out. Uh, that sounds interesting. Uh, okay, let's see. A few more here. Hello, Jeremy, just discovered your podcast, and you mentioned how much fun you had at the Hairball concert. Hairball is a 80s tribute band that my wife and I went and saw about a month ago. Uh, me, my wife, and my brother-in-law caught the Australian Pink Floyd show in London last year. The concert was so amazing that we booked tickets as soon as they went on sale for the November show. The visuals, the musicianship, the vocals were insane. Turns out that this band actually performed for and with David Gilmore's 70th birthday. They hmm. were doing a North American tour. 
If they're in your area, check them out. The moral of the story, it's easy to make fun of tribute bands, but let me tell you, it's an absolute blast. And these guys put in some serious work and effort to ensure that timeless music lives. I will look into your suggestions. Thank you again and keep moving the podcast forward. Andres, Andres, thank you so much. And the, oh, oh, it was Brit Floyd. There's another tribute show called Brit Floyd that came to Spokane about a year ago. I missed it, but I heard they were really good too. I have seen Australian Floyd on YouTube and they're phenomenal. So, and guys, here's something you got to keep in mind about a lot of these tribute bands. They've actually been playing the live shows longer than the actual bands did. Mm-hmm. So they're very polished. And most of them take it very serious. So they're going to be in not not just um, in, in the talent level, obviously, may, may meet uh, your expectation. Yes. And, and another great band, Bruce K. Thanks for your comment. Bruce K. says, Why Why Not rocks. Why Why Not is a Rush tribute band. I think they're on maybe their third female lead singer, but they're all awesome. And it makes sense to have a female sing Rush tunes, right? But it's a slightly different vibe because the female lead singers are better looking than Getty. I'll just throw that out there. But they sound they sound great. I love Why Why Not. I love Why Why Not. So thanks, Bruce. That's a great that's a great comment. By the way, any of you please uh, share your comments if you're joining us on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, you can share your comments. We'd love to share those. Okay. I think I've got one more. Last email. <laughs> hey, Jeremy, this is from Lauren. Lauren is a longtime listener and supporter of the podcast. She says, hey, Jeremy, glad to hear you're, you're going to up the podcast. I made this commitment that I was going to be doing more podcasts, and I kind of have, but I wouldn't say I've really upped them yet. Uh, that's why JR's on board. We think it might help to prod me some more person to laugh at right you know comic relief that's right glad to hear you're going to up the podcast great news classic and this is a responding to talking about the bands we grew up with jr they're getting older Mm -hmm. there's fewer and fewer of them that have original members so uh i think lauren is talking about this classic bands with all original members i can only think of one the fix Oddly enough, reach the beach. Are they classic rock? Well, I saw them play at a classic rock festival in 2005. I'll let you decide. And I'll say this. Most people would not consider the fix classic rock. I would. I think I could accept that. You know, uh, certainly based on the time frame that that I was listening to it. Yeah. I love the fix. I love a lot of bands that maybe Blondie. I love Blondie. Oh, yeah. We usually don't hear them on a classic rock stations. I, I, I totally, if you, if you want to quibble and say they're not classic rock, so be it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I listen to it. She says, I respect, I respect bands still wanting to perform, even if it's one original member. Look at the gifts they gave us. If they want to perform and have fun, then I'll support them. Lawrence from Sticks gets so much flack in social media for replacing Dennis, but he is awesome. Tommy and JY can't tour with Dennis. Do what you got to do. I love them all. But I'll never forgive Dennis for the Kilroy album. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little bit of a departure. I don't blame Tommy and JY. That's awesome. Lauren, thank you so much. And and 
great to hear from you. Yeah, so great points there. I agree with these classic bands. You know, I, I already said I'm going to go see Foreigner this summer with no original member. I mean, Mick, Mick Jones comes and plays one or two songs. The rest, it's all replacement guys. But they sound really good. And well, they must be doing really well, Jeremy. I, I, I can tell you that I was intentionally trying to come up with some some tickets at a, at a range that was appropriate for my my budget, and um, it was almost like going back to the original foreigner concerts. You, you these the, the tickets were so pricey, yeah. but it ended up being in the middle of the week, and it was sometimes hard to get away from work. But I tell myself that, but it probably was the price they they had been bought up, and people were reselling them, and they were going pretty oh, yeah. So I'll, I, but I'll it, let you it know. says a lot about the band, though. Yeah, doesn't it? and and you know what? Again, don't get me going on Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. These guys are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay, Green Day. Green Day is. Well, but Foreigner and Sticks are not. What kind of a weird upside down world are we living in? Well, I, I we do live in a different world than we we grew up in in the seventies, eighties, <laughs> and nineties. I don't think any of us really could have. Even Wayne's World couldn't have taken us this far. So, yeah, agreed. So, when we come back, we're going to talk about tonight's topic. We've put it off long enough. We're going to talk. My about first kiss. Yeah, JR. No, you, you got said the, you said we were going to talk about my first kiss. There's obviously been a communication problem. No, we're going to talk about the band kiss. So, yeah. no, recheck your notes, okay? We don't want to hear about your first kiss, right? We don't want to hear about. <sighs> yeah. Okay, we may Houston, we may have a problem, but problem. I, I I can wing it. I can okay. wing it. We're going to talk about KISS when we come back. I can't believe we drove around all day and there's not a single job in this town. There's nothing, not a zip. Yeah, unless you want to work 40 hours a week. Jeremy Lennon and J.R. Stanton on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Kiss. Kiss. We're going to start by putting Jr. on the spot. And so, Jr., if you're listening to this, you won't see the deer in the headlight look, headlight look that Jr. is giving us. But I, I want to hear just your initial remembrance, memories of Kiss as a kid, kind of uh, what you thought at first. Were you a big fan? Just in general, what was it like in Southwest Oklahoma in the mid seventies when Kiss burst on the scene? Well, when Kiss burst on the scene, I was mid grade school. Okay, because we're talking early. You know, if it was talking about early, but they were probably two or three albums in before I actually got a, a got a, a hint or an inkling. Because you got to remember, it, when you're deep in the Midwest, things take a while to reach us. And I I will say that that my first impression of Kiss was when classmates started coming in with Kiss paraphernalia hats shirts things that that you know I, I wasn't quite sure what it was, and I was used to bands that with different names not one word names necessarily of this caliber because i didn't what what's kiss what are, you know what does it mean but you know as i learned because we still had uh kind of the a a dichotomy of of 
social class at each classes, we had different people who would listen to different types of music. And I wasn't quite sure when my friend brought me Kiss, you know, how to take it because you you may remember uh, I asked him if it stood for something, and my best friend at the time said it. Yeah, it's Knights and Satan's Service. They said, and I said, "Well, I can't listen to this, and uh, I'm not sure I, uh, God would, you know, because you're you're in church and you're being told lots of different things. Rock and roll is bad for you, this sort of thing. But but I will say that at that time, my friend had a cassette player, and it was either ACDC or Kiss predominantly in this in this uh, cassette player and so my exposure was listening to this on the, on basically uh, in the downtime at school and uh, you know you had to kind of put headphones on so you didn't get caught so we would share these uh, sweaty headphones uh, so <laughs> you got that probably plug right in yeah, your plug right into your ears so there's no telling what I got off but anyway he was a good friend so I'm not gonna gonna smash the earwax but anyway uh, I, my first thought was this is really heavy man this is really rock and roll I've never heard anything this heavy and so I I did categorize them as as a a heavier style of music than you know what was I was listening to prior to that but it, what was interesting was the the mystique of the makeup is what captured my attention I mean I, it's like these guys are wearing makeup. I see the presentation and then the music was up to the caliber. So it had a, a nice beat. It was easy to get into your head and listen to. And so it was more in my mind fringe because of the fact that we didn't have the exposure in middle, in mid America to, to the, the rock or heavy metal sounds. And so when it got there, it was like, Oh, I shouldn't, but it was a guilty pleasure. So I enjoyed it. And then I had a, a buddy, Keith, who, who, bought everything so fortunately since he bought things i could just kind of tag along with him hear what he was playing and he's still that way he's still a, a, a heck of a good uh, music and rock and roll enthusiast but he introduced me to kiss i remember him and several other classmates and we all wanted to be as cool as them uh and, and we emulated some of the kiss image even without the the understanding of, of the music. And, and again, let's be serious in, in fourth or fifth grade, which is where I was. How in tune are you with, with all the things that it takes to be successful as a band? I'm not, so, I'm not so sure, but it was a unique uh, impression that no other band has ever put out. It certainly didn't impress. I have never been impressed to the same degree as when, you know, full on makeup, uh, fire breathing, blood spewing and, and all of the whole theatrics accompanying a good sound. So that was that was the piece that kind of drew me in. And, and again, I started at the side and kind of moved towards the middle. I think, and JR and I didn't really meet each other until high school, but mm-hmm. we grew up in the same general area, southwestern Oklahoma. I don't know what, what it was like in the rest of the country, but, you know, that's what we call the Bible Belt, right? Sure Oklahoma, enough. The Bible Belt. And uh, I can remember, like you, there was this whole, you know, when you're a 10-year-old boy, of course, that scary stuff is what's cool, right? The makeup. Yeah. And then you'd hear people talking about knights and Satan's service and all of this stuff. And it's like devil. You'd hear about ministers talking about kiss and how all this. <laughs> my my brother had a, my older brother had a friend named Toby who was like an expert on kiss. And so this is probably 76. Mm-hmm. So again, like you said, a few albums in. By the time I was even aware of them as a 10 or 11, however old I was, fifth grader. But, you know, this friend Toby, he was an expert. 
and he'd tell you all the stuff and that Gene Simmons wears these 12 inch high boots and, and they, <laughs> it's real blood. And, and no, it's real. I mean, every piece of this and in, in yeah. Ace, Ace Frehley's uh, guitar will burst into flames. Exactly. So it was, if you can imagine, if you were not around for it in the seventies, I mean, be honest, it's kind of, kind of campy and kind of goofy. You know, if you weren't born till the nineties to look at this rock group kiss and wonder how did these guys ever get so popular? Well, there was nothing cooler than kiss in the no. middle. I mean, it was, it was big. Kiss meets the phantom of the park, which yeah. is the all time stupidest worst movie ever made, but we all watched it. Yes, we did. And with the anticipation. Oh yeah. It's coming up. Yeah. Was- we had to wait a lot longer back then. Mind you, the, the promotionals that came out then, there wasn't any kind of instant gratification. You no. had to wait till the band could deliver that. Absolutely. So. Whether it was a, a new song or record or a movie, there weren't even, you couldn't even rent movies yet then, JR. Mm, no. In 1976 or 77, you couldn't even rent movies. <laughs> you don't believe that? It, you know, it, it, and we grew up and we still, did, you know, and we have a, some reasonable degree of sanity. Yes. Somewhat. And it's, <laughs> it's that instant gratification. You're right. We didn't, we didn't have that. And maybe that's why Gen X is so much better than all the other generations. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I would have to follow your lead and say, yes, I agree with that. You so, know, I, I think that, that they, the, the components, if you look around what was going on, yeah, we, we had more times to be faithful. Of course, you couldn't, you know, there was no, YouTube, there was no other van, a venue by which you could listen to artists. So you were going to no get whatever. Yeah. Right. So you're going to pick up on what was put out. Uh, and you had such a, a small, I think a smaller venue of makeup, fire breathing, uh, bass yeah. players. You know, I'm not sure. That, <laughs> did anybody else have that? I mean, <laughs> well, like, name another band that was blowing. A, you know. a good point, JR. This was pre MTV. Mm-hmm. All you had was the radio. You had the radio, you had live concerts, mm-hmm. you had the record store. Kiss didn't get played on the radio that much, not until a little later. Not, not was, a part of the neck of the woods. It was like, it was kind of like this word of mouth. You'd hear about this group Kiss and maybe you'd see a picture of them in a magazine. And you're like, Whoa. And of course, no one knew what they really looked like. No. And that was the mystique. Right. Yeah, and I think that the, that uh, you know, honestly, as I look back at that, I'd, again, I think that that uh, allure, that mystique, the thing that wanted you to, you know, it begs the question, who is this? I think that was, you know, that was very uh, uh, intentional, innovative way to promote the band, yeah. and certainly it worked because here we are. And I think that's part of the good and the bad mm-hmm. of Kiss. And so I don't mean to be controversial. And here, here's here's the way I explain Kiss. Well, let me ask a question. Would Kiss have been popular without the makeup? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't think so. I think, I think the shtick, the gimmick, is what put them over. And, and, and you know what? I don't think they necessarily disagree, right? And you kind of said it. They have the look. They have the gimmick. But mm-hmm. they good enough to back it up with their music. I mean, if they were total crap, <laughs> they wouldn't have gone over. Exactly. Well, I think that what happens is they're probably venturing past just uh, music and being, you know, in that 
obviously there's some entertainers who who span other other venues, not just the music and piece, but how well they present on stage. And uh, again, oddly enough, that was the knock on Garth Brooks. If you, if you remember, he, he they almost didn't sign him in, in music because of of uh, he just didn't, they didn't get his music uh, but his stage presence is what ended up bringing that so uh, again uh, maybe a, as a predecessor to that concept is that hey if you look like they did look all you needed to do is have a sound that's that, that was close enough to match that the whole you wanted like i didn't just go to go catch ace freely slick if i was trying to get front row no i wanted to see the pyrotechnics i wanted Absolutely. to see so is that is that part of rock and roll well it it is now well and that right there jr that to me, is what makes them, I call them the greatest mediocre band in the world. Uh, <laughs> You're not going to make anyone mad with that, are you? Well, but here's the thing. You just said it. Rock and roll, yes, it's the music, mm-hmm. but it's also the visual. You go back throughout history, mm-hmm. you, Elvis, Little Richard, yeah, the music was important, but the visual, I would say, was just as uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think that, that uh, it, you had to do something that visually captivated uh, as, as things were growing and in, 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 as music progressed. So um, maybe the concerts and, and think about the money that they probably brought in from uh, a Super Bowl size or a concert size that, of, that at that level or that venue. You're, they're definitely were packing the seats. And, and a testament to that is that they still pretty much are, right? You know, in 1996, I wasn't aware of this. I think it was 96 or 98. The reunion tour. That was 96, I think. The most, that was the most successful tour Kiss ever had. Mm -hmm. Bigger than anything they did in the 70s. People forget that. But in the 70s, they were, there were a couple years stretch there, 76, 78 to that, you know, Mm -hmm. no one was bigger than Kiss. Yeah, like $143.7 million crazy and in, that's in 96 <laughs> yes and that's not including and here's where they were geniuses and gene gene simmons was the was the guy behind this the marketing right mm-hmm. the lunch boxes the dolls everything every, the kiss army you could join the tattoos the tattoos i mean the kiss casket that didn't come out till <laughs> the kiss casket are you sure there's really a kiss casket kiss casket there's a kiss uh, Yeah. Okay. So, but, but there again, that's where people, that's the rub against them also. Is well, I think that, that, you know, if you're going to bring that up, then, then you might think that there, there was some degree of disparity within the band as to, to how to be merchandise oriented, marketing oriented, or being purely music focused or interested. Uh, I, I don't know when I was, Going back over some of the KISS information that I had available, I was one of the things that I had, had thought was, you know, how would you get all four of these guys all on the same page in such a way that, that they were all into the marketing? Because once you come out with a doll and, and <laughs> images, are we all four on uh, in, in agreement? It, you know, and some people, I think some musicians, particularly hardline musicians, may see that that, that distracts from the music. Right. And honestly, I kind of think that that kind of insight, that business acumen uh, may have actually led to some division in the band and I think you're right. And there's two, there's two ways to look at that, right? Because rock music, the history of rock music is replete with artists that were swindled 
and taken advantage of. Yeah. I mean, there are R&B artists and blues artists and country artists mm-hmm. that literally died penniless and they were massively popular mm. in their field. Well, there was now there was an untrue urban myth with some degree of fact that Peter Chris had, had went destitute. Uh, of course, it was proven later <laughs> that it wasn't him. Somebody was actually impersonating. It was an impersonator. And that was, an, that was a Donahue episode. Yeah, it was. It was. And then uh, Peter Chris actually came on the show to oh, connect. Did, did he? Oh, yeah. It's awesome. You got to watch it. Uh, and actually, I was very impressed with Peter Chris as he confronted the guy because he's basically like, what are you doing, man? But he was, <laughs> and they just talked about it. And the guy basically just, admitted that he was it was a lie that got away but it was somewhat believable and every in every lie there's a touch of truth i mean i can remember that there there was at least a moment where i was believing that you know peter chris was destitute on the street you know and and because it is a common story it's you hear that with a lot of the rock well not a lot but a good amount of of band members in fact I, i i think that Santana had had several stories where bandmates were found, you know, homeless. homeless. Yeah, totally. So yeah. In, San, and, in the streets of San Francisco, and in fact, and, I think and, I I supported a few of them. But and, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so blues artists, especially like mm-hmm. a lot of these legendary blues artists that the the British invasion, these guys were covering their songs. Mm-hmm. You know, a few of them in their l- later years got a chance to make some money finally, but most of them didn't, you know, they died poor, even though they sold lots of records and they were swindled by record companies. So the point I'm getting at is kiss Gene Simmons, especially, you know, knock them, love them, hate them. He knew how to take care of Gene and the, and by extension, the band, mm-hmm. and so you could call it hokey or whatever, but they've made a tremendous amount of money. Even Peter and Ace, who are no longer in the band, mm-hmm. they came back in for that retune- reunion tour and made millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. None of them are hurting. They're and not I, hurting. I think, you know what? Gene gets a lot of the credit. Well, I think he rightfully does. Uh, and I think that Paul comes in second, you know, yeah. based on, on if you hear, you know, Paul, I, all, they all have autobiographies. But if you hear him speaking regarding that, it was he said there was uh, a difference because you needed in order to have that kind of direction, uh, you needed to actually have uh, someone at least cognizant in the band that's making those decisions. Exactly. And so if you if you look at, at Paul. He he says that, you know, he took the drugs out of sexual drugs and rock and roll. He just didn't feel a reason to to get involved in that. He wanted to be in the here and in the now. And yeah. and part of that has to do with how you want to be managing the image that you want to project. Well, let's face it, man, if you're if you're drunk or, you know, inebriated or or, or riding the high of a drug, you may not be representing the image you want. You're not in the control of that. So I think that the knock on on Gene and Paul about being serious businessmen was meant that they just wanted to be in a better control. They never wanted to be in a situation where someone else was controlling the narrative of what Kiss was putting out. So they wanted that kind of, and it, and it requires a, a, I'm sure an unbelievable amount of energy and focus to kind of get that done. So you've got two members of the band who are, are, are certainly go- geared towards the marketed uh, and, and kind of the adult approach of, Hey, this is a clear message we want. Now, 
I guess I might be stretching on calling it an adult approach. But- no, I was going to say the exact same thing. We had a band with two adults and two kids, right? Mm-hmm. I, everything I read is just that. Paul <laughs> and Gene were very driven and they both had an idea. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Paul and Ace were the guys that could come along and do it. And at first it worked. Mm-hmm. Then they both, you know, we hear the stories of Ace, you know, he'd get drunk, he'd drive the rental car off the road, you know, whatever. He's not necessarily controlling the image. He's not controlling the image. He would be late. They wouldn't show up. They had people in the tour assigned. And this is even in the reunion tour assigned to make sure Ace gets on the plane or on the bus on time to show up and be and honest. Be uh, honest here, Jeremy. That historically, that would have been you were a great rock and roll band. I mean, <laughs> right. That's well. That's what rock and roll is, right? But Gene and Paul were of such a nature that they were very focused. I know that on a number of occasions they would have the guitar tech. This is before Tommy Thayer, but I think even at times in the reunion tour, Tommy Thayer would be dressed up. In the Ace, in the spaceman costume, ready to go. Ace had not showed up yet, and he'd show up at the last minute, and it never really had to get on stage. Maybe he did a couple times, but that was understudy. kind of the, the the nature. Well, and the story goes that Tommy Thayer for the reunion tour had to reteach Ace a lot of his guitar solo. And that wouldn't surprise me in true rock and roll fashion. So who do you emulate? Uh, you know, again, that's probably if you if we follow a lot of our traditional rock and roll heroes, I, I would I would venture to guess that we're probably would be the majority of individuals who fell into that category, not the minority. So when you have Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, they're kind of unique in that regard. That they did they they seem to be the most intimidating on stage. So you would think that they would someone was going to be drunk or late. I would think it was the the, the fire breathing blood. <laughs> you know, he, he seems to carry all the other aspects of it, but he's solid about hey the business end. So he's not let not ever going to let go of that control. Of yeah, even his physical control or his his image control. I, I want to back up and just do a little history. I don't want to get super super in depth, oh. but just it, folks aren't aren't big Kiss fans. You know, Kiss started as we know them in 1973, right? There was a band called Wicked Lester that Gene and Paul were both a part of. Gene and Paul have very interesting histories. They're both they're Jewish. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul Stanley's name is Stanley Eisen. He later changed it to Paul Stanley. And Gene's name is Kyam Klein or something. Yeah, like Kyam Wits. Uh, I, I don't know how you, yeah, Kyam. Yes. Wits. It was like Kyam mm-hmm. Wit. And then he later changed it to Kyam Klein because that was his mm-hmm. mom's maiden name. And then later he became Gene, yeah, Gene uh, Simmons. Simmons. His mom was a, a concentration camp survivor. Mm-hmm. Paul's family had fled, fled Nazi Germany to Austria and then finally to, to, or to Amsterdam, I guess, and then finally to the U.S. So they're both, Gene didn't even move to the U.S. till he was eight. They were in hmm. Israel when they moved over at eight. So here are two Jewish boys that grew up. Uh, Gene sounded like he was very active in, in his faith. Paul, not so much, but they were both in that 
culture. And I only bring that up because one of the slams that KISS get in the European countries was that the S's in the logo look too much like SS Nazi symbols. Yeah. And imagine if you're Gene and Paul and you're like, what? Yeah. Uh, We're Jewish. But it was just interesting. So if you see a lot of the KISS albums, it took a while for them to make this change. But from the later 70s and 80s, Mm -hmm. the KISS logo on European albums is different. I noticed that. They said they were like backwards Z instead of a to make it like backwards Z's instead, instead of a lightning bolt. Ace designed it to look like lightning bolts. The S's yeah. are supposed to look like lightning bolts. But, you know, didn't they say that he was actually writing the, the letter KISS, the, the K-I-S-S, over, you know, the Wicked Le- Lester posters Lester at one point? It because one of the Wicked Lester's S's had that kind of lightning bolt S. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. Ace took that, made the KISS logo, and the rest is kind of history. But years later, they got flack because they thought the S's resembled too closely Nazi symbolism. And so mm-hmm. I just thought it was ironic. Banned. You know? Imagine that gave them more publicity. Oh, yeah, that's right. And and Gene never wanted to shy away from publicity. Now, interestingly enough, so let's let's just talk about this. They started... Their first album comes out in 74. <laughs> and I listened to their first album for the for the first time in probably 20 years. I listened just the other day to the first mm-hmm. album in its entirety. And I got to say it's it's not a bad album. There's a lot of good songs on mm-hmm. that. Now, here's what Kiss suffered from. Their albums were okay, right? But their albums alone weren't what was causing the excitement. It was their live performance. Once they started to perform live and it just was kind of like a snowball effect, they'd sell out and, and it got to a point that they were selling lots of concert tickets, but not many albums. Mm -hmm. And again, not much of what they put out went on the radio. How did people hear about bands? It was the radio. So if you weren't on the radio, it was tough, but here's what's interesting. Again, Pre-MTV, pre-social media, pre-all the stuff that kids have now to see music on, Kisses on shows like the Mike Douglas show. You know, they're on Tom Snyder, an interview show. They're on the Paul Lind holiday, Halloween special in 1976. Mm-hmm. So because they had the visual and their manager, Bill Coin was pretty good at putting them out there. People were seeing them, and there was a visceral reaction towards Kiss. The kids loved them. The adults hated them, right? <laughs> exactly. So That's how I recall it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why uh, the first, when my mother asked me, you know, what do you, this Kiss album, I had to find a, a suitable song to play for my mother to demonstrate that Kiss was not, it was Beth. Beth. I said, yeah, Beth, uh, mom, this is what they're playing. I don't know what the big rap is. This is, oh, she would say, well, they sound so nice. I, I don't understand. And of course, Beth, certainly a departure from what the rest of the <laughs> love done. That was uh, their first top 10 hit was Beth, right? Okay. Uh, up to that point, that was the first one. And, and I agree. Uh, <laughs> it's like, mom, they can't be that bad. Look, one of the but things I saw, and these are two. These are two kids you know. We went to high school with them. Mm-hmm. Mike and Kevin. Last name starts with O. 
Okay. Okay. So, okay. Got you. Yeah. I went to elementary school with these guys. So 1977 school talent show, these guys do a lip sync. They didn't call it lip syncing back then. Back then it was called a pantomime. So here's these fourth and fifth graders dressed up like Kiss. So if you're going to do a pantomime to a Kiss song, the one you don't do is Beth. But no. they chose Beth. So here's four oh. kids standing in one place doing nothing while the whole song plays. <laughs> but it was, that's one of my great Kiss memories is these kids so, that played pantomiming to lip syncing to Beth. I mean, they got cool guitars. They made out of tin foil and everything, but they're playing a song. That's a ballad. Yeah. Like, it's going to be, it's gonna, it, I, did, how well did they, how well were they received? Oh, well, all the kids loved it. Cause they all like kiss, but yeah, man, it's a bummer of a song to pick. If you're gonna do well, and, and to tell you the truth in the schools we grew up in, if you just showed up with any other song, like hotter than hell, they would, yeah, they, you couldn't have done, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do that. Uh, that's funny. You know, here's uh, what's interesting to me. I don't remember Casablanca Records uh, prior to Kiss. That's a very good question. It was a brand new label. Neil mm-hmm. Neil Bogart, I think, started it. Formerly Buddha Records, he started Casablanca. I don't think Kiss was the first act, mm-hmm. but they were one of the very first. You know, another big act on Casablanca. Who's that? The Village People. Oh. Now, I did like me some village people, well, even though. I- but here's the thing. I will say this. We will never talk about village people on the Classic Rock Podcast. I think you're pretty safe on that one. Yeah. Last time we'll mention them. Okay. But I've got three village people albums. so we I didn't talk. need to know that. No, no. Actually, I could have guessed that. <laughs> but that's an interesting point, JR, because as Kiss is – Beginning to build momentum, at least from a touring standpoint, you know, Mm -hmm. they're they're selling tickets. Casablanca's going in the opposite direction. Kiss's albums aren't selling. And so on one tour, they literally took them off tour, said, guys, you got to make another album. Their first album did okay. Their second album, which was uh, Hotter Than Hell, Hotter Than Hell, didn't do, wasn't doing well. So they brought him back off the tour as they're uh, supporting that album, and they recorded Dress to Kill. Kill. And then it's not doing that well. And then Casablanca is about to go down the toilet, but you know what they decide? <laughs> What's the big decision, man? Live album. We're going to do a live album. And they did a little album called Kiss Alive Saved Casablanca Records. And that's the one my brother got. Yeah. That's the first. That's my introduction right there. And I believe I could be wrong. I think that was their first platinum album. And after that went platinum, Dressed to Kill might have gone back and gone. Platinum. I'm not I don't remember. But I know Kiss Alive went platinum. That rock and roll all night, the live version, it had already come out on either Hotter Than Hell or Dressed to Kill. Mm-hmm. But the live version is the one that was the big hit. Yeah. And I think Dressed to Kill was went gold. Uh, the Destroyer was was platinum. I think you're right. Destroyer uh, was Destroyer before or after the live album. Kiss Alive came before Destroyer, right? I yes, I do believe it did because I'm, I'm if, if I'm going back, I'm saying that I got that album in seventy eight, seventy nine. Okay, and so that would make sense. Just in my own timeline, I'm not sure how that would how that rolls out in real life. You know the yeah, exactly. <laughs> the J- 
Time line sometimes veers to the so, left. <laughs> uh, let's see. Studio album. Sorry, I'm looking at the. Oh, that's cool. My cheat sheet here. Sometimes you've got to resource the material. Exactly. So this list doesn't say the live albums here. It just goes, uh, we got well, the, we had- the first album, then the, the Hotter Than Hell, Dressed to Kill, Destroyer 76. So yeah, so live, Kiss Alive 1 would have been before Destroyer. And then Rock and Roll Over. And see, they mm-hmm. put out two albums a year. This is the mm-hmm. day where every eight months you'd put out an album, basically. Yeah. Well, I think that they set some records on on releasing albums, did they not? You they, know, in, in terms of of so many in, in succession, I think it was may have been the, the solo albums that did it, but still, yeah, they they had a lot. Yes, so that's an interesting one. So, Rock and Roll Over comes out in '76, Love Gun in '77. Then you just mentioned it, a very clever marketing idea. They decide. Each member is going to release their own solo album on the same day. And they all, it's the same style of art. So they all looked, and of course, well, the real Kiss fans, you have to go buy all four of them. Oh, I, I know that, that Keith had all four. I couldn't afford all four. I, also, I, have, I have the Ace one. The Ace, Ace the initial, initially Gene sold the most. Mm-hmm. But. Since then, Ace has far passed him. In fact, Ace's, I think, has gone platinum, where I don't think any of the others have gone platinum. That's kind of interesting. Do you, do you know, is it, do you think that was the American Idol of the time? Vote, uh, call in and vote for your favorite kiss member. Well, I tell you what, the Ace one is pretty good. Rip it out. You know, it's a great leadoff song. It had a hit. It had a uh, back in the New York groove. I think that was the only one that had a real hit of the mm-hmm. four solo album. So in 78, they, they each had their solo albums out. And then what happened after that? Oh, Dynasty. Mm. Dynasty. They had one massive hit. I was made for loving you, which mm-hmm. is kind of a, it was a nod in a different direction, at least for several members of the band. <laughs> yes. It was a disco song. It's a disco song. It, it, that, again, I think they at least drew that parallel. Is it really rock and roll? Is it disco? I tell you what, it, I think that it's hard to keep reinventing yourself. And if these guys are intentionally trying, I mean, you got to figure there was a focus. They're always looking for the next big thing. And sometimes you, you hit big, sometimes you don't. But they gamble. There's no uh, way of denying the fact that they definitely put some gambling into the, the ideas of where the direction of the band was going to go. Personally, I, I think it's a catchy tune. I kind of like it, right? Uh, it's funny to see footage of them because they obviously they play it in the in the current tour, you know. And yeah, it's kind of a discoy song, but it's it's a jam, you know. People like it. I kind of kind of like. Well, it. I think it, it's a bridge. I I think it's a bridge for for Kiss. You know, yeah. the the way they approach their their music and the way they move forward, they needed to evolve. They couldn't be, you know, it couldn't all be Love Gun or Hotter Than Hell. And, and you know, you're, I mean, your fans mature from a yeah. kid to, to adolescent and such. So you've got a band that, uh, that uniquely was, was attempting to mature along, I think as well. And, and, and certainly I think that, that the stamina of this band is to stay intact consecutively as long as they have shows that, that maybe they were onto something. Maybe it's hard to get it right the first time. And, and with every album, 
the, the albums weren't their strength. Even even Paul Stanley says to a degree, they ask him about new music, will there be any new material coming out for Kiss? And I think that, that his his remark was, you know, he wouldn't do it. There would be no no more new music. And he said to the the, the largest degree, it was because you couldn't replicate some of the the uh, the intangibles. You know, you might come up with a good song, and I remember the the interviewer was saying, "Well, yeah, but this would be, you know, this would be good uh, memory songs, good recalls for the new generation." And he says, "Yeah, but you know, I'm the one generating that that song, or the band's generating that sound and that song, and it wouldn't. It's hard to, to recreate sometimes and be authentic. So that was the risk of trying to come out with uh, new music is in new materials. You're going to be judged not by uh, you don't have a chance to tr- trial it." Right. You're going to be judged fairly immediately. There's always going to be a critic. Right. Uh, and so he was at a point where he said that it didn't, that didn't matter. They were doing, they were packing stadiums, playing full dress on, on a farewell tour. So why would they need to change that? Absolutely. And, and other artists, Roger Daltrey has said, it's stupid for us to make an album. Why would we make an album? The current platforms, the way you make money, oh. you don't make money from albums anymore. You know, that's just, it's just kind of changed. But Dynasty was a, uh, I don't want to say a last hurrah because basically they did come back, but it was the beginning of kind of a dry spell and a tough time for the band. Mm-hmm. Peter Chris would be gone soon. And, and we've already kind of talked about how Paul, Paul and Gene were the driving force. And within just a few years of Dynasty, Ace and Chris, Peter Chris would both be gone. Mm-hmm. Remember Unmasked? Well, yeah. even, even before Unmasked, this is the weirdest album, is mu- music from the Elder. Yeah. What, <laughs> what were they thinking? That's, that's what really was the nail in the coffin for, for Ace. Is he's like, no, <laughs> no, let's do, let's do a rock album. Yeah, a rock album, man. We got to go out and, uh, you know, you know, here's, here's the interesting thing. Yeah. Interesting thing is that you got to figure, you know, uh, Ace had been around when, you know, your lead singer would call out to the, to the guitar player, play me a solo. I mean, it was, it, you know, it used to be we, we labeled the solos and everybody got one. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Solo, bass yeah. solo. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, we, it, and I think if you think about the time frame for the, the elders was really, when we were actually starting to integrate more solos into, into the actual song, you would actually hear it. It wouldn't be, you know, somebody calling out to the, and here's Ace Freely. Give us, <laughs> give us a lick, you know, you know, wh- whatever. But in, in, um, the solos actually matched the songs. They weren't ad lib necessarily. And here's the thing about Ace too. And some people, you know, uh, again, love him, hate him. Is he the, is he the most technically adept guitar player? At, no. But you know what? I bet Ace Freely sold more Les Paul guitars than any other guitar player on earth. Yeah. How many? How many twelve-year-olds were inspired <laughs> to pick up the guitar from Ace Freely? Because why? Because he was cool. He was, he, you know, and it was an image. Image, and he played good enough, right? And he, there's mm-hmm. some tasty stuff he played, but he was just cool. If you were a 10, 11, 12 year old in the late seventies. Nothing was cooler than Ace, right? And he inspired a whole generation of guitar. All the shredders that came in the 80s, I guarantee you, they were all Ace Freely fans. I would have to say so. It was huge. So one thing that, that is interesting is uh, on the, the Elder, music from the Elder. If you never listen to it, 
you really should check out music. That's a, what's great about Spotify. Now you can go listen to an album, right? But right. it's like a, and I don't know if, if you guys in your family ever went to like musicals, the seventies were a big time for like Broadway musicals, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Jesus Christ, superstar, or any of those big musicals, big of the Broadway shows. So imagine a really bad version of one of those. That's what music from the elder sounds like. And it's weird. I mean, I mean, you just scratch your head. Why would you, why would you do that? And, and they made it, they presented it in such a way as it was going to be a soundtrack for a movie called the mm-hmm. elder that never came out. Well, they say, again, one of the words used to describe that particular album was harsh reception. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, 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 felt, it failed to achieve a gold status. Yeah, well, uh, you know what? Sometimes they deserve a harsh reception. <laughs> harsh. I mean, you, know, it, <laughs> you think about adjectives. I'm not sure that's one I want garnered towards my work. It was harsh. Yeah, uh, harsh you know, a heart received harshly. I think Ace played very I – mean, he might have done like one solo. I mean, he mm-hmm. hardly did anything on that album. And then they, they came back with Unmasked. Peter Chris appears on the album. He was there for the one video, Shandy, mm-hmm. I think was the video they yeah, made Shandy. for that album, which is – it's a pop song and I kind of dig it. It's all right. And then he was gone. And here's, I didn't realize this. It was sad. Antog, Anton Fig of David Letterman fame yeah. he played on Unmasked mm-hmm. and he was actually in the band for a day. <laughs> for a day. For a day. They decided, hey. Anton, you're the man. You're going to replace Peter Chris. And then they decided the next day, no, nah, you're not right for the band. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what that conversation was was really like, you know, yeah. and, and, who, and how did they decide? But who knows? That's so many. Again, it makes a good rock and roll legend. And the story goes, urban legend also. Uh, actually, I don't think it's urban legend because I think I, I think maybe it's been confirmed. Anton Fig actually played on a lot of their studio stuff, you know. So, mm-hmm. Bob Kulik, brother of Bruce Kulik, who was in Kiss later, but his brother Bob played on a lot of Kiss stuff as well. So, there's a lot of Kiss stuff where Ace and Peter aren't playing. I don't know if folks are aware of that. And the Creatures of the Night album, mm-hmm. which is probably the heaviest album they ever made. 1982. Yeah. Ace appears on the picture, but there's a whole slew of people that play on that album, including Robin Ford. People don't know that. Robin Ford, Mr. Jazz, who's tasty jazz guitarist, Robin Ford, he plays on Creatures of the Night. What's his name? The guy who was in Mr. Mr. Steve, can't remember his name. It's slipping my mind. But the guy who was the guitar player in Mr. Mr., he plays on Creatures of the Night. So there's a number of guys that are playing on Creatures of the Night because they didn't really have a lead guitarist at the time. Vinnie Vincent helped them write it. And then Vinnie Vincent came in right after Creatures of the Night. But here's an interesting list of people who auditioned to replace Ace before Vinnie got the job. Doug Aldrich, who played for Dio and Whitesnake, but he was like 18 years old and he had blonde hair. And he felt like a dummy, you know, he felt like they were just being polite to let him even, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have worked out. 
he was one. Oh, I thought I'd, I thought I'd uh, just roll off the, my tongue all these people. But, but several people you've heard of, including, here's a guy you've heard of, according to Gene Simmons, Eddie Van Halen yep. wanted to replace Ace. But he didn't want to uh, interrupt Van Halen. I think it didn't, I mean, isn't Kiss credited with identifying yeah. Van Halen? Gene was the one who put up the money for them to do. He kind of discovered them, right? He's the one that put up the money for them to make their demo. And so Eddie had been friends with them all the time, and he was a fan of Kiss. And he wanted to join, but between Gene and Alex, they convinced Eddie not to leave Van Halen. He was not getting along with Dave at the time. Right? <laughs> so, and how is that different than any other year? Uh, Can you imagine Van Halen with Eddie in it? Any of the other at that time frame? What Richie Sambora? Maybe Richie Sambora? Yeah, he's one of the other ones. I think even Ingve. I think. Oh no! Mouse. I think so. I think no. he was one of the. I don't know. If I actually, couldn't picture that. That with me either. But you know. But uh, they wound up with Vinny. And here's the thing. I don't know the deal with Vinny, but neither Gene or Paul liked Vinny. They thought his playing was good. He helped him with some songwriting. He had some talent, but the dude was weird. And everything that has transpired since then reinforces the fact that Vinny is weird. Vinny might be a little weird. I actually got a, a vibe of, of weirdness, but, you know, again, with the makeup, you can't be too sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. You know, I, I think that, that that's probably true about a lot of artists, though. So, uh, yeah. you, you know, and you throw uh, how many times do we talk about artists who, who can't make a, a connection or don't feel like they have the chemistry, you know, may play drums for a day. I mean, well, play guitar <laughs> yeah. for <laughs> so uh, it, it just kind of goes to the fact that of understanding that maybe putting an album together, touring, and being in the same space with somebody does require more than you know, just a little more common interest than, than what we. It's more than credit. just your ability to play, right? For sure, there's got to be there's got to be uh, chemistry for sure, and and everything we've heard about Vinny is well, and even. For like 20 years, no one knew anything about Vinny. Then here about three or four years ago at a KISS convention, he comes out and, and he meets with Eddie Trunk. And that's the first public thing he'd done for years. And since then, he's supposedly been going to have shows like several times. And then he cancels, pulls out at the last minute after people have bought tickets. Vinny is a major flake. I mean, I don't know what he's got going on. But, but yeah, if you listen to the autobiographies of both Gene and Paul, they talk about Vince and how he just was a – Carmine Apostle was actually mm -hmm. kind of recommended Vinny other than – I don't say recommended. They talked to Carmine about Vinny and Vinny said he's a great player. He's a good songwriter, but dude, he's weird. So <laughs> whatever it is, Vinny's an interesting – character and he's kind of an interesting little footnote and that would probably be acceptable for a lot of other bands is what i was thinking <laughs> you know he's a little weird oh maybe but he so. can write and sing exactly and maybe so and i think in a band like kiss that was so much gene and paul it they needed sidemen right mm -hmm. they needed people and that's that's the whole reason ace and peter haven't really come back is it's kind of like henley and the eagles mm -hmm. right now that Glenn Fry is gone, 
the Eagles is Henley and everyone else is a side man. Well, Ace and Peter, because they were there from the beginning, they won't settle for being side men. They want to be equal partners. And I can't blame them, right? Mm-hmm. And and it makes sense. Uh, they what did Paul Stanley say? I didn't throw anybody underneath the bus. They they walk there. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, so it's like I I think that uh, if you watch that Tom Snyder interview, you yeah. can see who was serious and who wasn't, and what that yeah. might do. You throw every guitar player uh, into that realm. I think you throw rock and a good many rock and roll guitar players into that realm of hey. They're here for the the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right. and uh, maybe don't have the clearest vision. And and think about some of our, you know, you, you mentioned some of the the better guitar players who, if they just could be sober, they yeah. think about yeah. what they could have done. Uh, but I don't, unfortunately, that's not a part of you know, sobriety. Is not part of rock and roll unless unless you're Paul Stanley. And yeah, that's well, what it and takes. Here's, here's the thing, and I just thought of this. I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but Kiss is a brand mm-hmm. and most bands aren't necessarily a brand. And I mm-hmm. think that's why Gene and Paul were so possessive and still are possessive of the brand. Now, one of the interesting things that this really rubbed a lot of fans the wrong way is when, you know, when they brought in a new drummer, it was Eric Carr, right? New mm-hmm. character, the Fox, you know, he had his own little makeup they bring in Vinny. He's the the Egyptian warrior with the onk symbol. Yes. But at least they're new characters. Now, they might have looked stupid, but they were new characters. Mm-hmm. Well, then flash fast forward to the 2000s, and then all of a sudden, we've got Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer wearing Peter and Ace's mm-hmm. makeup. Wow. Made a lot of people mad. Yeah. I could see where that would, especially, you know, if you were a team, as we call it now, a team Peter Chris or team Chris. Uh, the thing that, that gets you, though, in, in terms of de- uh, defining what Kiss is, which is pretty much how we started the conversation, like what, what I heard of Kiss. Describe to me, what is Kiss? Was it an acronym? Was it a name? How did they get the name? And then how they decide to evolve to be more than just a band? Because Kiss the Band is not, you just say, oh, it's a band. They're a band originally from New York, whatever. Uh, you, you still don't get the, the context of what I think the concept of what they were trying to do, which was bigger than that. So Kiss is more than a band. What is it? And so I think if we're going to use the word gimmick, maybe uh, that's the gimmick that's that sustained them is that here we are 50 some odd years later and we're trying to figure out what Kiss, you know. What is Kiss? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is? I still don't know. I mean, seriously, what is? And I think that's the point. I don't think they're going to tell us what does Kiss stand for. What well, does Kiss mean? The story I heard was that Peter Chris was in a band called Lips, and so they were yeah. just talking about names. And Peter and and Paul just says, "How about Kiss?" You know, you heard Lips. He said, "How about Kiss?" So they just had a name Kiss. Now they've all denied. Way to kill it for me. Here I was going with the mystique <laughs> angle, Jeremy. I was just going to put to put to bed the rumors that it stands for knights in Satan's service or kids in Satan's service or whatever yeah. it is, right? Well, Which that's, that's is, good to know. It's kind of funny because Gene, at least, was pretty devout growing up. You know, he's a Jewish, nice Jewish boy. Yeah. And, and I have to say, I have seen some, uh, I saw, I don't know what the event was. It was a, just a year or so ago. Gene was talking about 
It's very patriotic. He was talking about when he came to the U.S. and thinking about what his mom had been through, mm-hmm. and he was expressing how grateful he was for the United States and all. And it was very moving and very thoughtful. Gene is usually very abrasive and in your face and he has kind of personality, but he's a very smart guy. He was a school teacher, by the way, he taught sixth grade for a year or two. Like, like history or something, right? He's a smart guy. Paul's a smart guy. Right? Mm-hmm. These guys aren't dummies. And so, Ace, what, what did Ace do? He Ace delivered delivered liquor for a liquor store or something. something I think like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nothing against Ace, but but I think that Paul and Gene are both smart guys, and they are they've done a great job of marketing their brand, and and I'm not going to fault them for that. And you mentioned Garth Brooks earlier, mm-hmm. right? One of the things that sometimes rubbed Garth Brooks the wrong way. And you might know better. You're there closer, but he was a marketing major at the university of Oklahoma. And now what I've heard is that growing up, he was a rocker. He was into kiss. He liked kiss. He liked all the hard rock of the day. And he decided my best opportunity to make money is in country music. So, you know, is there anything wrong with that? Well, you know, I, didn't he have a little bit of an identity put on the makeup thing, too? I'm, 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 <laughs> he had that whole Chris that Gaines or something. Uh, either way, maybe he, maybe that was his nod to Kiss. I think you're probably right. He's a Kiss fan, right? I know he's a Kiss fan. And I'm sure he tore some things from the Kiss playbook in terms of marketing your brand. And remember, this was a country sh- country concert and he's smashing guitars and there's fire and there's flames and he took some of that schmaltzy kiss showmanship and brought it to country and and was on stage at oklahoma state though i don't think he actually went to university oh that's a fatal fatal mistake i just just needed to to correct that before we got too many call-ins you don't want to call you don't want to get that mixed up no, no, sorry. Thank you. Yeah, he played there at Tumbleweed. Uh, there, one of the clubs there. But either way, uh, it, I think that what happens is it. What it says to me is that Kiss touches everyone. You know, because uh, Garth Brooks still like it or not, he's still in our age group. And you know, here you have a guy that that, that could at least uh, emulate a stage performance and understand that the idea of being an entertainer in an entertainer might have more value than just the music itself, and, and have longevity. Because certainly that's the vein that, that we would, I think that I'm, I, when I brought Garth's name up, that's what I'm talking about. Longevity, right. entertainer, maybe not best known for his playmanship. And but although he does have some really good songs, he's, he's the whole package. So he's, again, where did he get that? I think that Kiss put the blueprints together for a lot of bands that, that were influenced. And, and that, that's just one guy. I think if you and I thought about it, we could probably come up with quite a few other bands oh, that so, might emulate what, what Kiss so did and such. Let me give you one story. In the early days, 75, right? 76, 77. One of their perennial openers, they had, they had, they had two or three bands that they really liked to have open for them. Mm-hmm. One of them was Rush. So, the guys in Rush and the guys in Kiss are good friends. I mean, they've they've stayed friends over the years. And Getty Lee, I've seen in interviews where he say, you know, you know, love them or hate them. 
what we learned from Kiss was how to engage with an audience. You gotta, you gotta leave it all out on the stage. You look them in the face. You have a good time. You engage, and there wasn't anyone better than Kiss. I mean, you go back and look at some of the classic rock bands, and from a uh, charisma standpoint or stage presence standpoint, some of them are pretty dang boring, right? <laughs> but Kiss, they put they put on a show, and I like what you said, Jr. Is rock and roll just the music? Or is it the music and the show? Is it the steak and the sizzle? Whether you like it or not, and this is why I, I, I put Kiss in the category of one of the greatest bands ever, is the sizzle. Oh, are, yeah. they, are their albums the best? No. Are they the most talented musicians? No. But I do think they're one of the greatest rock bands because of what we've talked about. Because exactly. Because gave the people what they wanted, and how long have they been doing it? Oh yeah, it's, uh, Wait, half a century, and then war is still raking in millions of dollars. People still go and still have a great time. And that's one of the things I think that you just paraphrased one of what Paul Stanley had kind of mentioned on one of his later, most recent interviews. But he also uh, talked about his stage performance resulting in five five surgeries. <laughs> So you're going to entertain these guys, right? But you're going to have a hip replacement. Yeah. Uh, yeah, So maybe leaving it all out on the, on the concert venue, uh, maybe he left a piece of him out there too, but he was saying that part of the reason they, they worked uh, the crowd and and is because he couldn't turn in a a subpar performance. They wanted to deliver. They wanted everyone who had bought a ticket to feel like they'd seen the show and hit. And they, that was like, well, can't you do, I mean, I think one of the questions, couldn't you just do it like, and it's from a chair or a bench and play acoustic and such. And he says, that's not kiss. Right. Maybe other bands, but no, we're all over. If you've been to a kiss concert, you've been, we're packing it, packing in venues. Maybe this is the way we go out. Yeah. And I thought that that was pretty good. Uh, you know, yeah. it kind of says a statement that who he is as an individual isn't who he is as a musician on stage or an entertainer, if you will, and, on stage. And, and he and Gene both, because they'll hear the interviews or the autobiographies. I've listened mm-hmm. to both of their autobiographies. And they both make the case that in the early days of the band, they wanted to make the band mm-hmm. they always wanted to see. Yeah. They'd go see these great bands and they'd always be a little, dis- not always, but often they'd be a little disappointed because mm-hmm. they didn't think they were getting 100% from the bands. And so they wanted to create this experience that, and, and so JR, here's the, here's the rub. You hear it all the time. Those guys should have retired years ago. Why don't you give it up? You're too old. You can't hit the high notes. You can't. And I get that. I get that. But the other part of me says, well, if people are still willing to buy tickets and pay money, why would you stop? Why would it, you stop? If you don't like it, don't go. Exactly. And, 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 and you know you know what version you're getting. We're not, we're not in sixth grade or eighth grade any longer. Uh, so you know what version you're, you're getting. And I'd have to say that KISS delivers and has delivered because of the numbers you know, I don't think that that anyone has, who's been to the my brother went to the concert uh, just recently, you know, and he was lives in Houston, and he said, you know, hey, if you haven't seen the the concert on this last go around, you got to see them because they're still trying, they're putting in all the effort. It's the, and I can see why, you know, that's why you, you've got to find there's a jumping off point where you've got to stop that. 
Is it, yeah. it, again, four or five surgeries into it. Most of us want to have our own, our own hips, knees and such when we, we go to the grave. So, so let me say one thing that Gene said, and then mm-hmm. I want to get your final thoughts. So be prepared to sum up. You've got to explain this in 30 seconds and then I have to do the same. So gotcha. <laughs> one thing that I heard Gene say, and, and on the surface, I think, well, that would never work, but maybe it would based on their history as marketers, right? He says, I could see Kiss continuing to tour as a, you know, a touring act long after Paul and I have stopped. Meaning, who's to say they couldn't have auditions, right? And they hire a touring Kiss that goes on kind of like Trans-Siberian Orchestra, right? Okay. Tour I could buy that. For and it's Kiss. You go to the Kiss concert, and it's a rev- it's new musicians, but they're playing all the classic Kiss. I could see a situation where people would pay to see that. Well, I don't see any other any other band that has the uh, that as a clear alternative. But when you met, you know, again, they're selling in full makeup, so yeah. they're not out there. Yeah. It's not Gene Simmons it, on stage. It again, could be it's a, not Paul. So I could see where where I wonder if they thought about that. Years ago, do you I, think that that's I don't know. something I, they thought I, about? Look, if we're really good at this, we can be retired and still have you know still get be out on tour. <laughs> we hire we hire these young young guns, guys in their twenties and thirties, to go out and pretend to be us. Well, think about that opera that the the and the th- thought process. Maybe that was what they were aiming at early. Maybe we just didn't catch it. Maybe the fact was is that the kiss is bigger than 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 a band. It's an onstage performance, and and how many people will revisit Broadway for for a new version of Cats or a new version of Oh, it's just as good. And and, exactly. and the thought is they're selling tickets, so maybe maybe uh, that's the the genius there is that they were able to think far enough ahead to say this is a brand now that can be re-energized, and then. Your kids, maybe perhaps and your grandkids, grandkids yeah. can, can, can have a kiss experience. That's awesome. and, but, you know, but again, from a marketing standpoint, being able to sell something not just to you, but to your grandkids. Come on. That's that's a, that, that's enduring. That's a very enduring brand. So your final thoughts. My thoughts kids. are that, that, again, I think that the ambiguity of what defining defines kiss is what keeps you coming back for more kiss is that you, you are still the they're better off with the makeup i think that the, that that piece of it is they said the makeup had to go at the time that it did and i agree with that because they couldn't grow as a band in in deliver they had kind of outgrown the makeup but the point is when it came time to to revisit it it was uh, awfully timely and it, yeah. and it gave us a chance now that i can't off the top of my head, discuss uh, or recall a band that wore full makeup in, in two different, you know, vin- uh, let's, let's just say at least uh, decades, maybe a year, and had the success that Kiss has. So yeah. my thoughts is that they're enduring. The one word I would say that describes Kiss is iconic. And iconic because when you see Kiss, it, it even if you don't even hear the music, the, just just Kiss the emblem provokes images, provokes uh, different things that are unique experiences for each individual, which is what music was supposed to do in the first place. Place it was supposed to transport you away from the mundane nature of your life, put you 
if a temporary basis, maybe, but still away from where you're at, give you an escape. I think Kiss was successful at, at least getting a, a good portion of that recipe done. They delivered on the music because it, it was what you expected. Was it profound? I don't think so. But I think that even the members agree that none of them liken themselves to the Beatles. But, but on the whole, the whole package, yeah, they get it. And it's more of the Kiss sizzle that goes forward rather than just the, the, the music alone. It's a, it's a true entertainment experience. And that's why people go to the concerts the same way that they do years later. Not because of the music, they know the music, but because of what the overall performance does for them. So they're more of a performer than just the music. Yeah, I think, I think that's well said. I think, like I said earlier, that they are one of the great bands because of their impact. If yeah. you were to just take just their music and never saw the whole package, they're, a, they're an okay band. They're not bad. They're not great. But because of what they did and brought and the impact they had, they have to be, they have to be counted one of the great rock and roll bands. Uh, agreed. Agreed. JR, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Jeremy, always a pleasure. Uh, again, I hope that, that we can continue this in a way that's productive and that we continue to have uh, a good camaraderie as rock and roll fiends. Yes. And thank you all for joining us uh, again. You can follow us on Twitter. You can email us, classicguitarrocketmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We always share your emails. And uh, you can be a supporter on Patreon and on Twitter for as little as a dollar a month. So thank you so much. We'll see you next time on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. JR, see you. Till next time. Certainly, Jeremy. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Oh, sweetie. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. <laughs> We're morons. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Keep your head on the ground and keep reaching for your feet. Wait, that's that's not right. Keep your feet on the ground and keep start. No, keep your stuck. What the heck? Just thanks for listening.